Good morning. Good morning to everybody here in the room and good morning to you online. Thanks for joining us. It's a privilege to gather together here and to worship a living God, a God who cares deeply for us, a God who is actively present in our lives, and it's a privilege to be up here. My name is Pat Stream. I'm the counseling pastor here at FCC, and uh, our normal teachers, Tim Prince and Tim Porter, are out of town. So what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> no worries. No worries. I came prepared. So today's message is part three in a series that we have called Made for This Moment. The title of this message is A Community of Healing in the Midst of Pain. And it's a recognition that we have an innate capacity as a church, and especially this church, to bring light and hope and to be a source of support and love and transformation for those of us who find themselves in the grip of darkness. This is all right in line with our vision as a church. And I'm going to read our vision statement here. This is out on our website, and we talk about this a lot, and it says, through the Spirit's leading and power, we display an attractive, welcoming, and reconciling presence in Christ-centered community so that thousands more may experience Him in a gospel-inspired life. However, our world is shrouded in darkness. We see troubles that are appearing so vast and so insurmountable. It's in moments like this, these moments of despair that we just wonder who or what is going to offer us any help? Who is going to bring light in the midst of overpowering darkness? To bring reality to uh, this darkness closer to home, what I'd like to do is I want to share with you some poignant stories that reflect the pain and struggles that many in our community and perhaps even you have faced. These stories and the names are made up the stories reflect reality, however, and they're, they're meant to illustrate the depths of the darkness that can envelop us. And all of us, like these individuals that are in these stories, we can often find ourselves in places of despair. Sarah's silent struggle. Sarah is a bright individual, vibrant, but she found herself battling with anxiety and depression in silence. Despite the love and the support of her family, the darkness just continued to grow, leaving her unable to escape the grip and being trapped in her mind. Michael and Maria's torn relationship, the marriage of Michael and Maria, it's plagued by constant turmoil, rooted in the struggles to commun communicate well, and there's old wounds that just haven't healed. The unresolved pain from past abuse in their marriage, it shackles them and it kills any attempts to find solace in each other's arms. It leaves both of them feeling isolated, even in their own shared home. We have Rachel's painful secret. Rachel carries the weight of an abortion that she had undergone years ago. It was one of these decisions that she had made in a moment of desperation, and she, she keeps this painful secret hidden, 
unable to find closure or share her anguish with any of the ones that love her. It's just perpetuating this internal torment. And then we have Lily and her burdened heart. We have Lily, a teenager. She's faced with the myriad of challenges that often seem insurmountable. The weight of the academic pressure, the peer pressure, the expectations, and the uncertainty about her future, they have all deeply wounded her once carefree spirit. It leaves her in this darkness of this labyrinth of teenage troubles. She longs for understanding and guidance, but she just feels so isolated and overwhelmed. And Mark, Mark's undescribable grief. Mark experienced the sudden loss of his wife in a tragic car accident. The grief had just enveloped him. This unrelenting pain that just will not subside. So he searched for a way to get out of this in the midst of his darkest days. And last, we have Jason, Jason's descent. Jason's life spiraled into darkness as he grappled with addiction. As his days became more and more consumed with chemicals and cravings and substances, they had just taken control of his life. The unresolved pain of his past fueled that. The self-destructive habits, and he ended up being trapped in this cycle of despair. He too was desperate for hope to guide him out of this abyss. So these stories are just the tip of the iceberg. As many in this room, and a body the size of ours, and even in the larger community, struggle with their own stories of pain and darkness. So we, we all carry burdens, we all carry struggles, and it's recognizing and empathizing with these challenges today that we're gonna be able to connect with the story that we're gonna read from the Bible. So with these real life stories of pain and darkness resonating in our hearts, we're gonna turn to a remarkable story of healing in God's word. We're gonna be reading today from the Gospel of Mark, chapter five, verses one through 20. So pull out your Bible and go to Mark 5, 1 through 20. And if you're gonna use a Bible in the pews, it's page 840. Mark chapter five, verses one through 20, page 840 in the Bible's in the chair. So this is Mark telling a story. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even a with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out loud with the voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name, he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. 
Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter the pigs. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out, of the, came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the, in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this narrative raises really intriguing questions as you've likely noticed. We have demon possessions and we have the pigs. What's up with the pigs? So I ask questions when I read the text and I say, what is Mark's purpose in recording this story? Well, we're gonna focus on two questions. The first question is, is what does this narrative reveal about Jesus? And then how does that guide our responses to it? My hope is twofold. I hope that you will be moved deeply by the boundless power of Jesus that we see in this story. And I also hope that you're gonna reflect on verse 19, relating it to your own life much like the healed man did. So, in this first part here, I want to talk about this story, and especially the darkness, and the impact on the man, and the impact on the community. And then we're going to see what, how Jesus deals with it. So in this story, we see Jesus and his disciple. They, they arrive at this place, and they meet this man in a very tough situation. And you can see in verse 2, he was possessed by an unclean spirit. Now, in Jewish culture, culture, this meant if you were declared unclean, it was the most undesirable state that you could ever be. And then in verse 9, we see that he was tormented by a legion of evil spirits. And a legion, it often, is, it, it often means 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. So whether it was 6,000 or not, people debate about that, but it's up there. But the point is, is that it, it, it symbolizes this overwhelming strength, this overwhelming power, and vast numbers. So a Roman reader would read this story and see that even Jesus could overcome Rome if he wanted to. But then a Jewish audience would read this, and what they would see is this oppressive control, this complete absence of freedom, and something that no human effort could ever break. Now, in verses 3 and 6, we, we get to hear about the man's life. 
So let's take a look at his life. And we see this man, he, he's amidst the tomb's desolation. He's bound by chains. And he's an embodiment of this symbol, this poignant symbol of despair and isolation. He's an outcast, shunned by society. He's grappling with this multifaceted suffering on a daily basis. He's got physical agony, psychological torment, social exile, and he's, he's got this fractured identity, a complete loss of control in his life, and then there's this deep shame because he's, because he's seen as unclean. So he's seeking solace in, in self-inflicted wounds. And he's, he's not finding any respite, and he's, he's in this unending cycle of anguish. Even chains and shackles couldn't subdue his earthly strength. And he's, he's got this ceaseless screamings and self-inflicted wounds that are, are going day and night. These are all testaments to the torment that he is experiencing. And even his cries, even his cries for deliverance, they seem to fall on deaf ears. Hope and aid remained elusive in this man's perpetual suffering. So in this first century reality, we see these universal struggles that are mirrored in our world today. Like then, our society bears afflictions and burdens, and while we may not face demonic oppression, we do wrestle with internal battles. There's broken relationships. There's emotional scars. There's mental health issues. There's addiction. And there's spiritual voids. So, Mark's account is portraying a man who is living in profound hopelessness. It's rendering him beyond any aid, and he's alienated from God, from others, and from himself. Now, this is, not, this is a condition not unique to that man, because this is symbolizing humanity's state before God. And then the community itself, the community was in chaos too. Because of this man's reign of terror, his uncontrollable and violent behavior, it just left people in a constant state of fear. Can you imagine hearing this man screaming off in the distance, day and night, sending your kids to school saying, don't go there, don't go that way, stay away. Everybody was on high alert. It was disrupting their daily lives. So they tried to chain him, they tried to shackle him, they tried to do something, but he broke free. He left the community feeling powerless in his torment of them. So this man had become an unmanageable menace to the community. He was bringing darkness to community in the region. So our society, like that of the first century, we long for hope. We long for hope, we long for light, we want to dispel the darkness. Whether it's broken relationships or societal injustices or personal internal conflicts, we all grapple with battles against the darkness. We all seek freedom and healing. So we just talked about the darkness, and now we're going to talk about what does Mark want us to know about Jesus? Mark wants us to see the power of Christ over this darkness. There's a spiritual battle that unfolds. It's unseen, and yet it's undeniably real. It's all around us. 
To echo the words of Apostle Paul, this comes from Ephesians 6, 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this is a reality that we must not overlook or underestimate. And when you look at verses 8 and 9 of our passage today, what's, what's truly astonishing is how Jesus takes this boundless love for the man and he takes this extraordinary power, puts them together, and addresses the man and addresses the demon. Boundless love, extraordinary power. He engages the tormented man and he commands the evil spirits to depart. So this kind of power that Jesus is showing here is not a show-off power. It's a healing power. He is not showing off to the people around him. Boundless love, extraordinary power coming together, and he deals with the man, heals the man, and he attacks and confronts the evil spirits. So these malevolent beings, they recognize his authority. They know him as Jesus. They were terrified, and they pleaded with him, don't send us away. Send us into the pigs. And they couldn't even go into the pigs unless Jesus said so. And that's what he did. Jesus did so, and even the evil spirits had to obey his command. Now, what's particularly noteworthy here is in verse 7, we have the demons, their recognition of Jesus. Son of the Most High God. So this indicates their awareness of his divinity. They know what they're up against. And they also know their fallen state. And while at the same time, stories leading up to this, and even now, the disciples are struggling to grasp his divinity. But the demons instantly recognize their creator. So even though the demons acknowledge Jesus, they audaciously question him, why are you interfering with us? And he begged him not to torment them and send them into this abyss. There's a lot of background in this, and it would be fun to just unpack it sometime. But the demons were wondering, why are you here now, Jesus? Because it's not the time for you. And Jesus knew that too. Jesus could have finished it right there. But they have their time coming. They knew it. They said, send us into the pigs. And then we have the power of Jesus in the man's life. So we learn that nobody can calm this man. Nobody can deliver this man. He, he, he couldn't even try by his own efforts. So you have his own efforts and you have society's attempt. None of that had a lasting impact on him. And so like our world's strategies today, they fall short of delivering true hope and lasting change. I think this story can resonate, this man's story can resonate with many of us who's tried various changes and varied methods to change, to try to overcome whatever personal challenges we have. It's only through Jesus' transformative power that we find deliverance. So from this story, we see that Jesus is willing to go to any length to help his people. He doesn't concern himself with societal norms. He doesn't care what's considered clean or unclean. Nothing. Nothing can deter him from helping 
and caring and healing. Not even the forces of nature. The story before this story, he calmed the seas. And now he's exercising demonic forces. Nothing can deter him. Jesus sees and cares about the darkest aspect of our humanity. It in, that includes those hidden moments or those hidden things in all of us. What we see here is that Jesus is willing. He has the power to deliver and heal. He's offering assistance and healing. And he will do that in those areas that you may be reluctant to discuss. So just as the demon-possessed man found solace and renewal through his encounter with Jesus, we have people in our contemporary world who are also seeking healing and redemption from our own forms of darkness. So whether we're grappling with mental illness, addiction, poverty, any of the hardships depicted in our lives, the presence of Jesus is the source of hope and a catalyst for change. And it's where we find ultimate healing. So now, understanding Jesus' heart, understanding his power over darkness, understanding his ability to heal, his willingness to do it, his desire to see us freed. What does Mark then teach us about our response? So we see in verses 14 through 20, we see two contrasting responses. First, what we see is the community response. So the response of the community, what we see are we see coldness of the people. And we see the coldness of the people, it's contra contrasted with the warmth of Jesus, the warmth and health of Jesus. The people in the community, we read that they, they reacted in fear and they rejected Jesus and they, they begged them to leave town, get out of here. So there were several reasons for this. All right, now we get to talk about the pigs. You should know, though, that the pigs are not the primary point of the story. Everybody wants to talk about the pigs. I read so much about the pigs preparing for this. But the pigs do matter. The pigs matter because they're gonna illust they illustrate why. They illustrate why the people reacted in fear and why they rejected Jesus. The pigs represent or were a lot of money, wealth. I mean, that is a lot of bacon. <laughs> How many ribs could you pull out of 2,000 pigs? But seriously, seriously, the pigs represent wealth. So one of the reasons why they rejected Jesus and they feared Jesus is because of the love of money. And then we have a lack of compassion. They valued the pigs over the people. They valued the pigs over this man. And then we have a lack of spiritual interests. They were prioritizing their possessions, their material possessions, the pigs, over spiritual transformation. And then we see that they're blind. They're blind to their own need. They, they do not see that they have a spiritual need that is the same as the demonic-possessed man, demon-possessed man. So 
These are all reasons today, still, for why people struggle with unbelief and reject Jesus altogether or are fearful of growing closer to him if they know him and obeying him and living like him. So these are the sources of unbelief in our life, love of money, lack of compassion, lack of spiritual interests, blindness to their own need. And also these pigs are important to the story because what they represent or what they underscore actually is Jesus's kindness. So this man knew nothing other than a life of an internal torment, experiencing it on all levels. And by Jesus sending these demons into the pigs, the man gets to see his deliverance happening. He gets to see it leaving him. I think that's the Lord's kindness to him. But it also, what, we, what everybody sees is the immeasurable value of one man's soul. His eternal well-being was more valuable than 2,000 pigs. That's what, the, that's what the pigs are all about. So then now, that was the community's response, and then what we see is the man's response. It's a completely different response. And Mark highlights the imperative for our response in the man's response. First and foremost, we are called to trust Jesus and Jesus is alone and his power to save and heal us. So just as the demon-possessed man, he couldn't deliver himself from this demonic activity. He couldn't do it on his own. We cannot deliver ourselves from the bondage of our own sin. Jesus, who was sacrificed and risen, he possesses the power to save. He alone has the power to save. We must trust in his ability to deliver us. So as Jesus was leaving, the man, the man who is saved and the man who is healed wants to be with him. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And he really wants to be with Jesus. But Jesus has different plans. In verse 19, what we see is he tells him to stay. He told him to stay, go and tell people. Go and tell people in the community, in the, re in the region, about Jesus and what he has done. You see, this really gripped my heart this week, is Jesus, he healed the one man. And by this command to Jesus, to go home and tell people, he is also going to heal the community. He healed the man, and by telling the man to go tell people, he's going to heal the community. Because they're going to gather around him, and they're going to hear. <clears throat> and then people are going to start telling stories. <clears throat> the terror is gone, but if he didn't tell the story, then they're not going to know about this amazing power of Jesus. So consider your reaction to Jesus as we see him in this story. Like the healed man, do you long to spend the rest of your life with him? Now and in eternity getting to know him better? Jesus utilizes his authority here, not as a show-off power, but to highlight and showcase his kindness. He demonstrates his strength to deliver his people. He activates his power to come to the aid of those who are helpless. Anyone, anyone who acknowledges their own powerlessness 
will encounter Jesus' might and they'll get to savor his kindness. Jesus' might and kindness are available to you. Have you experienced that firsthand? And when you do, I want you to realize that you have a story to tell. The most practical takeaway that you could walk out of here with this message is express to others how much Jesus has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. In our community of healing, let's have conversations about what he has done for you. There's one question that when I'm in a group of people, I don't do this all the time, but I was just reminded of it lately, to take the conversation to a completely different level, because who wants to talk about the Minnesota Vikings? No one. Who wants to talk? I mean, you gotta bring in the football joke, right? I could say something to Packers too, but I don't want things thrown at me. Um, So, but I asked this question to change the place of the conversation. What is most compelling about Jesus and the gospel to you right now? What is most compelling to you about Jesus and the gospel right now? No matter what's going on in your life, no matter if you're experiencing the level of pain that we're talking about or you're, you're not or you're, on, you're, you're experiencing some blessings, this, this question can change your conversations. So, you know, I, I realize, I'm, I'm realistic about this, that there's, I think there's two things that get in the way. Two things that get in the way of us telling our stories. And the first one is, I'm going to tell a quick story about my son, Josh. Um, my oldest son, Josh, he's 26. And when he was in college, he was involved in crew and getting to know people. And, you know, they're challenging him to tell his story. And he, he, he just called me and he's like, Dad, I don't, I don't have a testimony to share. I mean, I don't have one like yours. And if you know me, <laughs> I said, son, you don't want a testimony like mine. God has spared you. He spared you that. But he gave you another testimony. So in a Christ-centered community, in, in the midst, when we're healing in the midst of pain, we don't compare stories. We share stories. Whatever it is, we share what God has done in our lives. It's not about comparing. And then the second reason why I think people are reluctant to share is that this is legit. People could mishandle your story. They could gossip. They could respond poorly. These are legit concerns. But in a community of healing, in the midst of pain, we must be those kinds of friends who can handle the story. And we're not threatened by it. And we don't gossip about it, but we are, we are generous in our spirit. This is one of our values here at Faith Community Church, and it's described like this on our website. Generous in our spirit. We are overwhelmed that God is patient and broken with us in a broken world and grateful that he loves us despite our own persistent faults. In our gratitude, we desire to be free of a nature of criticism towards others. Out of humility and self-reflection, we want to give gentleness, kindness, and grace to those who show us their suffering or sin. We see all that we have as a gift from God and we offer it freely to serve his kingdom. So those are some personal responses that you can take away from this message today. And if we look at the larger community, 
a community of healing in the midst of pain through the power of Christ. What we see in our passage today is a power that is not limited to the first century. We see a power that transcends space and time. It's a power that's available to us today. A Christ-centered community of healing has a relationship with the world that's not about isolation. It's not about judgment or condemnation. Our Christ-centered community of healing should be known for our love, our generosity, and our commitment to making the world a better place. Faith Community Church, you were made for a moment like this. Moments that require us to be a transformative influence in the world. Being a community of healing is how we invite the world to Christ. Within our church, we've been diligently building a culture of care. Let me give you a glimpse of what's happening. We've actively invested in individual and biblical marriage counseling. Uh, we're ensuring to the best of our ability and resources right now that members in our church body have access to support and guidance during the most challenging times. There's been a waiting list for a long time. Good news is it's getting much shorter. We currently have five certified biblical counselors and there are more people being trained, more people being certified. We're taking proactive steps to expand the reach of care through initiatives like freedom groups. Freedom groups have had a profound impact on this community already. There's been over 80 people that have been participated and we're getting close to just wrapping up our, another session and we've been hearing stories of freedom and healing. Furthermore, we have missional community leaders who've been trained to incorporate a tool we call Fruit to Root. It's a tool about getting to the heart and turning to Christ in the midst of pain. And then one more example I'd like to give you, and this is much more organic. This one just kind of happens and you just kind of hear about it. I was talking with Jacqueline and Vance Zins. They're members here at FCC. They are faithful coordinators for freedom groups. They've been through freedom groups. They've also completed biblical counseling training that we provided a few years back. Jacqueline was just telling me recently that their son-in-law, son-in-law, was experiencing some really unsettling things in life and nothing he was trying was helping. And he was talking to his wife, so that'd be Jacqueline and Vance's daughter, talking to her about it, and she suggested getting some counseling from them. And Jacqueline said that they started conversations and they had some really long and really powerful, great conversations. And the son-in-law made a comment at the end, something to the effect of this, this is the best counseling I've ever received. And Jacqueline, she's not a biblical counselor in a formal sense. She's taken her training and what she's doing is that she is applying it in her daily life to situations like this. She's taking what she's learned in freedom groups, what she personally experienced in freedom groups, and then she's applying it. And she's helping her son-in-law get to his heart and see the hope in Christ. And then just to wrap up this story, sometime later, very shortly later, word got out about this in the family. And Jacqueline's son called her and said, I need the same thing. And so she applied again what she learned, and then her son gave a very similar review of the counseling. So I, I heard, when I hear these stories like this, I'm, I'm just so delighted and I'm so proud of Jacqueline because she took some training 
And as much as I encourage people to be counselors with me, I get it. Sometimes they have other things God's got going on for them. But she took that, and this, this organic part of our culture of care, it's these unseen conversations. So I'm just excited about that happening too. And so we're building a, counsel, a, a culture of care, and our capacity is growing. More and more people are being cared for, but our journey doesn't end there. We have plans for the future that encompass Prince didn't want me to talk too much about the future. How do you not talk about the future? He wanted me to talk about what we're doing here and now, which I totally get. And our, our future, though, of being a Christ-centered community of healing, it's going to be one that extends beyond this congregation into the larger community. So I, along with our other elders, we ask you for prayer. We ask as you, we seek God's guidance and blessing on how to grow and expand our culture of care. So I'm going to wrap things up here in a conclusion. The power of Christ that we've been examining here today, it's not confined to the first century. It's not some relic of the past. It's, it's living. The power of Christ is living. It's breathing. It's a force that continues to shape our world. And it's so awe-inspiring that it encompasses the ability to free the bound, to heal the broken and bring light into the darkest corners of our existence. This power is not distant or detached. It's personal. It's accessible to everybody. So Jesus invites us as individuals and as a community to connect with him on a profound level. In John 8:36, Jesus tells us, "So if the Son of Man, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed." This isn't a promise. It's not just a promise. It's an invitation to experience the liberation and the personal connection with the power of Christ. So just as the community was profoundly impacted by the healing of the demon-possessed man, our efforts, our collective efforts can bring about care and love and transformation within our community. So again, I ask you to be persistent in prayer for the realization of our vision, to display Jesus as attractive, welcoming and reconciling presence in Christ-centered community. I'm going to close now in prayer, but it's going to be very short. And here's why. Megan and the team are going to lead us through a song called I Speak Jesus. We have sung this song before, but I'm going to keep my prayer short because I want you to sing this song as a prayer. I want to encourage you to proclaim Jesus' name boldly. I want you to sing it loudly with the full assurance that the power of Jesus is at work in us and in our faith community. If the Spirit moves you during this song, let it out. Sing. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Your word is living and breathing and active and you are sovereign. You are wise and you are good, and you've given us your power to heal. Lord, we sing this song as a prayer to you. We cry out to you. We want your power. Bless us in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.